This time on Poll Hub, Mueller on the line. Will Donald Trump fire the special counsel? Speculation is at a fever pitch in Washington, and we have the data on what the public thinks should happen. Plus, Nixon is back. No, not that one. Cynthia Nixon is back. She is the actress-turned-education advocate who's jumped into the governor's race in the state of New York against Andrew Cuomo. You may have heard of him. We've been asking New York voters what they think of the two, and the answers should probably worry both of them a little bit. And the kids, they're all right, but they never vote. That's the conventional wisdom. But is it true? And will this time be different? There are lots of reasons to think so, but is there data to support that contention? We're going to find out. Let's get started. And hi, everybody. This is Paul Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, the director of innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Marigoff, director of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, director of the Marist Poll. We have been here before on this podcast talking about whether or not Donald Trump might fire uh, Bob Mueller the special counsel. And here we are again after some huge developments where the FBI raided Michael Cohen's offices, Michael Cohen, the personal attorney of the president, Uh, the president seeming to get ever closer to wanting, well, he certainly wants to, but to actually pulling the trigger and trying to fire or have someone fire uh, Bob Mueller. But we've been asking the questions, a lot of people have been asking the question, did the public want that? What's the answer? Well, I don't know. Pardon me. You want to start with some of the numbers? I'll jump in. Well, I think what we've been finding uh, over and over again Again, and uh, this really hasn't changed. And the the Q poll, the Quinnett Piac poll, um, has the most recent numbers, but it echoes ours as well. Uh, nearly seven in ten Americans do not think uh, Special Counsel Mueller uh, should be fired. Uh, it's only a handful, a pretty small proportion, um, believe that he should be. In fact, a majority of GOPers um, also agree that Mueller should remain. So. Uh, not a lot of support for that, um, you know, position. And, and uh, also, I mean, I think we're seeing support for Mueller in terms of his investigation and whether it's been fair. Fifty-two uh, percent of the Q poll. Uh, we had forty-eight. Uh, about twenty-point edge in both polls um, in terms of him being fair in his investigation. And then I thought there was one other interesting number. Well, that well, well hold on, but just before you move off of that, because that question is a little bit more polarized. We do see mm-hmm. that um, Republicans, uh, the majority of Republicans, do think that the investigation is not fair. It's fifty-four mm-hmm. percent. Um, it is still just a very partisan uh, group that has that opinion. Certainly, overwhelmingly, people do believe um, that the investigation up until this point has been fair. So there is some segment of Republicans who believe the investigation has been unfair, but that it should continue. Yeah, he shouldn't be yes. fired. Exactly. And then we, uh, I saw uh, just, uh, I think it was this morning or yesterday, the Monmouth University uh, had a number of 62% nationally support legislation to protect Mueller, thinks that uh, the people feel that a panel of judges should sign off should the president want to uh, fire him. And that's something that Republican senators and House members have been asked pretty much repeatedly, if not every week, almost every week for the last year. And they've never really, few of them have ever really committed to that, said it's not necessary. There has been a change in this week. A little uh, bit. A little bit. bit. A a couple of prominent senators, including Chuck Grassley, uh, who's the head of the uh, Judiciary Judiciary Committee in the Senate from Iowa. And he said he would be committing political suicide to 
uh, fire Bob Mueller. So there does seem to be a bit of a change there, at least in terms of Although of the we should add that were he to fire Mueller, things don't all go away suddenly. And in some of the recent uh, things that have been going on in, in the news uh, this past week uh, involving the FBI raid, I mean, that's all under New York jurisdiction. So there's no pardon. There's no anything that Trump can do really, realistically, to bring that to a conclusion. Well, if, if the state, if the attorney general of the state of New York were to take up those charges, this is being done in the Southern District of yeah. New York, which is federal court and the assistant attorney general for the Southern District. So it's still under the Justice Department. But your point is that it could easily go to yes. the attorney general of the state of New York, who has some political ambitions <laughs> in so, and of himself. And, and, and then it's completely out of the hands and control of the White House. Yeah. And, and both of those uh, instances, uh, not the attorney general, but uh, the other, both Trump appointees. So there's been a lot of talk about uh, Nixon in the last um, few months, or actually since Trump's become president, um, mainly about Richard Nixon and any parallels. But there's a different Nixon in the news, especially here in New York. You may remember her from Sex in the City. She was an actress that played a character on Sex in the City. She's been an ed- education advocate in New York for some time. Cynthia Nixon is now running for governor against Andrew Cuomo, who, of course, is the son of legendary governor and I may run for president, Mario Cuomo. Um, what's going on here? Yeah, it looks like we're going to have a Democratic primary for governor uh, here in New York. Uh, and right now, uh, the latest Maris poll shows a pretty wide lead among registered Democrats. Now, these aren't likely voters. These aren't likely Democrats uh, to vote in the in the primary come September. But Cuomo has uh, 68 percent support to 21 percent for uh, Cynthia Nixon, um, who has really just started um, her campaign, throwing her mm-hmm. hat, hat in the ring for this. So that seems like good news for Cuomo. Right? Well, uh, not yes and totally. No. Um, uh, first of all, Zephyr Teachout, who ran four years ago in the primary against Andrew Cuomo. One of my one of my favorite names in all of politics, Zephyr Teachout. I just wanted to say yeah, that. Yeah, it sounds like somehow a protest also. Uh, some people were, were walking. Maybe the teachers can pick that up in some of these states that they're striking. Nonetheless. Although, although New York Democrats may have been a little bit more comfortable voting for a teachout than a Nixon. Yes. But we're going to find that yeah. out in a few, in a few months. And we've already been chatting about that possibly. Okay, so uh, what we also looked at, and this is where it gets uh, somewhat more interesting, we looked at voters, not necessarily likely voters, that'll come later, closer to the primary, we looked at people who said they were extremely or very enthusiastic about their pick. And here is the interesting bit in all this. 34% of Cuomo people say they're either very or extremely enthusiastic about Cuomo, but 58% of the Nixon people say they're either very or extremely enthusiastic about her. Now, admittedly, you're not surprised by someone who has fewer, more concentrated, solid supporters, as opposed to someone who's kind of been governor for two terms, seeking a third term. But these are Democrats, and they're talking about enthusiasm, and if turnout is low, enthusiasm could make a difference in this. And right now we're talking about a 24-point edge for Nixon over Cuomo in terms of those who are most enthusiastic well, about well, this. But that's but that's not a that's not a toss up. When we look no. at the toss up among those people who are most enthusiastic, um, Cuomo still you know gets about six in ten voters, and Nixon is around uh, low thirty. Yes, yeah, so she goes to thirty two, which is very close to the thirty four teach out got at, at the, the end. end. So yeah. she's already almost. 
at the teach out level. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to do is actually to compare apples to apples. Um, mm-hmm. When we first thought about doing the segment, and when you guys were out in the field, we said, "Hey, let let's get the numbers from when teach out ran against Cuomo because she actually put up a, a strong fight and came out with thirty four percent of the vote against a guy who who was expected to be a shoe in. This was four years ago. Yeah, and but had a no very polls. high reelect at the time. Right, and had a very high reelect rating at the time. And Zephyr Teachout comes and really kind of shocks in doing as well as she did. But no polls were done for that yeah. primary because nobody thought, why would you even bother wasting the money to poll? This guy's a lock. Yeah, yeah, right? He's yeah. got a lock on it. This year, we're not going to be the only poll that, no. that pulls gonna, this race. We're going to have company. Now, here's, here's where it gets interesting. Look, in the short term, Cuomo runs some chances, some risks. Uh, you know, he's going to have to deal with this primary, which I assume he's he, going to have to run yeah, a campaign. Yeah, and I assume he didn't against want a Democrat. To, didn't want to do that, and he certainly remembers what uh, Teachout got four years ago. Uh, in the longer term, should Andrew Cuomo want to run for president in four years? In 2020, I shouldn't say in four years. In, in 2020, less than four years now, he will have to pivot because against. Nixon, he's going to be running against someone who's a liberal progressive. Well, and he's it's the Democratic have, primary base in, yes, in the and states then around the country. To, uh, then he's going to have to turn around and appeal to that very same Democratic primary base as a presidential candidate nationally. Uh, so I think there's an, kind of like a little bit of a trap here both in the short run in terms of how well she does and does she demonstrate that he's not very strong in his own party in New York? And then should he win and then go on to be reelected for a third term? What about a presidential well, you, race? You know, There's this, a lot in this that is more than just Andrew Cuomo running for re-election. There's also an expectation, though, here is that Democrats are the ones that are most mobilized as we're going into these mm-hmm. uh, November elections. And certainly in, in New York, the primary is in September. But what what do you think? Is there also an anti-incumbent feeling? Is, is it just about party or is there... Um, you know, a disgust with with government and those who are representative of things that have been going on in government. Well, I think there's there's one thing about what Cuomo hasn't done that is going to be raised in the primary and presumably in the general election in, in New York if he gets past the primary, and that is the whole issue of corruption in Albany. I mean, he's if you go down what he's accomplished, it's a checklist. He's done an awful lot of what he said when he first ran. He's accomplished a lot of that. And New One Yorkers thing, still think he's a good leader. Most and, New yep. Yorkers still his weigh His approval in rating is, well, has it, not sunk. No, no. His, yeah. his job performance is, is around 42, but 54% have a favorable impression of him. So Which isn't a bad place to be when you're in for your life. No, uh, no, in, in this climate, it, those pretty, are really yeah, good, good. Yeah, and, and I think, although we were sort of saying that Cuomo's got some problems here, that 54% favorability, likability score is, is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's, that's real stuff. Uh, but, you know, this has now gotten a little muddier for him. It's not as clear cut. I think we, we do need to mention, just to be fair, that Cynthia Nixon is probably not running in a vacuum here. Uh, Bill de Blasio, who's the mayor yeah. of New York, who does not get along with Andrew Cuomo. The two of them hate each other, basically, um, for all intents and purposes. The mayor of New York and the governor of New York historically don't usually get along. These two have kind of taken that to a new level of, in the same party. Uh, and uh, it is widely perceived that Cynthia Nixon's bid for governor is uh, as a result of Bill de Blasio pushing that or pushing her to do that or at least lending some support to her. It may not be the only reason, but it, it is worth noting this is not happening in a vacuum. Yeah. Although 
Governor Cuomo is more popular in New York City than Mayor de Blasio is at this point. Yeah, so lucky lucky that Bill de Blasio is not running for governor against uh, Cuomo because that would be a pretty sad story for him. Yeah, well, and okay, so circle your calendars, May 19th, the New York Working Family Parties are, is going to meet for an endorsement. Will they go for Nixon? Will they go for Cuomo? That could be a big tell, telling sign as to where that kind of progressive vote ends up going. There's one other question we asked, and I just want to bring it up because I, I, I am very much um, opposed to talking about the next presidential race uh, in the first you know, few weeks or the first even year or two after the last one because I think we're, this permanent <laughs> campaign that we're in in this country is not necessarily a great thing for anybody. That being said, it's hard not to be talking at least a little bit about who might be lining up to run in 2020. So, so Jay, first of yes. all, you'd, you'd take offense if I said we're one year away from one year away from New Hampshire primary? Yeah, yeah, I would take As deep, I guess that would deep offense It's less that. than a year. Yeah. What do you it think was. about 2024, though, is what I really want to know. No, no, hang on. So my, my point is that um, we do not have just one person in New York who is uh, a probable or possible, I shouldn't say probable, possible, possible uh, candidate in the Democratic side. I think we have one that is who is widely perceived to be, if she chooses to run, perhaps somebody who could really make a, a, a dent um, for a variety of reasons. And that's Kirsten Gillibrand. She's the junior senator here. Uh, Chuck Schumer is our senior senator in New York. Um, and we've asked about her as well. Is there anything in the polling that would indicate that she um, has a good, strong base of support in New York that would help her to make the case she'd be a good presidential candidate. Not a strong candidate. send-off either from her home state. 58% of Democrats we polled say they do not want her to run for president, which I was kind of surprised about because her approval ratings... Is that because they like her and they don't want her well, to get hurt? I, I think generally <laughs> New Yorkers usually like to, you know, Broadway's in New York, they like to give promotions uh, you know, but the current president's from New York, and New Yorkers hate it. So, <laughs> one New Yorker at a time. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's what we're looking at. But anyway, so she'd have certainly. Um, look, she's identified some good issues. She's been at the forefront of certainly the military, sexual harassment in the military, other issues, um, and certainly the enthusiasm with the whole Me Too movement is something that would be very, uh, very much um, favorable towards a woman candidacy. Um, but. Right now, that's not there for her either. So you're right. Let's not speculate too much about down the road till we get past the midterm elections, at least. Yeah, women have been a major factor in in politics in this year. Part of it's the Me Too movement. There are more female candidates running than there have been at any time. There does seem to be a kind of a sea change happening there. The other sea change is in the youth uh, vote. And I remember doing a story probably in 1988 or 1992 during those presidential elections um, on in, in intelligence as a, as a political journalist about the youth. I think it was the first year maybe of Rock the Vote um, mm -hmm. that was part of you know MTV oh, yeah. was part of that. And I remember interviewing kids. I don't know. It might have been in Iowa. I don't. I, I don't remember the details. But there was a real sense that the kids were really going to come out and turn out and vote. It might have been in '88 after after two terms of Reagan, and uh, that the youth vote would really make a difference. And as a political reporter, I don't know that I did that story every four years, but I did it <laughs> practically every four years, and the results were pretty much the same each time. There have been some blips. But the youth vote is always significantly lower as a percentage, as their turnout percentage than as seniors. Um, because of what's happened in Parkland, because of what's happened in the Me Too movement, which is is not youth driven but but has activated a lot of youth, 
there is um, a sense, I think, this year, at least among some political pros, that this time may be different. I've heard it before a million times. Is this time different? Is there data to suggest that? Well, the data is mixed. We did a national poll uh, taking a look at the congressional generic and looking at that by generation. And we didn't really see any changes or blips yet in um, voters between 18 and 30 years of age. And, you know, I might just add here, we, we often refer to that group as millennials, but millennials are actually aging out of the, the uh, of the youth vote. So uh, for those between 18 and 22, they don't quite have a name yet. They're Generation Next, maybe Gen Z. I saw in the Pew research, I believe they called them post-millennials. Right, 7%. but but that's but that's that just means they Nobody's don't have take a, that name. they don't have no, a name yet. That. They don't want to be just an afterthought of the millennial generation. Yeah, that, right. that doesn't They're not ready for that prime doesn't, time. That I mean, doesn't quite work. That'd be like if Gen X had been post-boomer. I mean, who wants to be a post-boomer? Well, and they were for a while, but, you know, then they had to come up with a letter. So I'm not sure, um, you know, what what we're seeing and the impact of now that next generation, which is really the legacy of the Obama years. Uh, And they're really the group that has come of age during his presidency. And that's pretty much the one president that they have had experience with. And And this is a large group, too. I mean, it's worth noting that the baby boomers, people talk about boomers because it was a very large generation. Uh, The millennials are a bigger generation as a percentage of population than the boomers. Or not, but not a vote. Not a vote, but the percentage of the population. And and I saw this Harvard poll, uh, 30%. Yeah, that was a little bit different than what we had shown. Yeah, they they looked at Americans under age 30, so it's a different group of of, 18 to 30, yeah. And um, right now, 37% say they will definitely vote in the midterm elections. In 2010, during the Tea Party time, that was 31%. In 2014, it was 23%. So the 37 currently certainly is greater than it's been at a comparable time, uh, according to this Harvard poll. But again, we get back to the point both uh, uh, Jay, uh, you mentioned, and Barb mentioned, um, and that is the question of whether it be voting young people. But, but that and, increases- and that's where it matters ultimately. That this is then- also the National Youth Poll, which is conducted by the Institute of Politics um, at the Harvard Kennedy School. And this methodology is a little bit different than what we do. In Mm -hmm. other words, we're talking to Americans on their mobile and landline phones, and we're talking uh, directly to them. This was done online. It's done with a representative panel, um, which is is a reputable probability uh, panel, which means it is representative and generalizable. But we have found sometimes that those people who do participate tend to be people who are more likely to participate in things. Um, so when you have a, a survey where someone is taking the initiative um, to fill it out instead of um, you know being directly contacted one-on-one, sometimes we do see those changes. So that might be the reason behind some of the differences that we've seen between this poll and, and, and our But their poll. trend is nonetheless higher. That, you know, Absolutely. Apples and apples are still higher Correct. than when you yep. look apples to oranges. That number... 
that enthusiasm gap, the idea that they're going to vote, it's entirely driven by by Democrats. Like, the, oh, the, that's a very good yeah, point. The, the, yeah, that's important. There was the Republican youth in the past. There were strong, like the Tea Party. There were a lot of young people that you'd see a lot of guys, mainly guys, but there you'd see a lot of people in the Tea Party rallies that were quite young and quite upset. And remember, during the the Donald Trump um, rallies in 2016, during that coverage, you'd often see people interviewed who were young. I mean, people in their in their late teens or early twenties who were very passionate about Donald Trump, uh, it, it seems like this is being driven by passion on the other side, in almost, almost entirely. And I think one of the things that counters the enthusiasm for voting is that this is also a generation that doesn't have a lot of trust in the institutions of government. Uh, and they're fearful. This same study showed how fearful they are about the democracy and, and, it's, and the future of this democracy. So on the one hand, yes, it can mobilize them to vote. But on the other hand, they also do have attitudes that suggest that they don't have a lot of confidence that government is a solution. And that'll do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College here in Poughkeepsie, New York. And as always, Mary Griffith is our executive producer. We would not get any of this done without her. Thank you. And we might also add that I've mentioned before that I'm on the board of the Roper Center Archives at Cornell University. Provides us with lots of ability to look back at time data. And I should also point out that beyond that, they have 700,000 questions archived with responses dating back to 1935. So if you really want to take a dip into history and look at some really wild stuff that was asked in the 30s and 40s, the Roper uh, iPoll is a place to go. Yes, it is absolutely a very interesting walk down the decades. Uh, so uh, we'd like to hear from you. Please uh, reach out to us. You can check us out on Poll Hub on social media at Maris Poll on Twitter, Maris Poll on Facebook, Snapchat and Instagram. And, you know, send your questions, send your comments. You can also do that at pollhub at maris.edu. But most of all, if you're listening, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.